Blog Talk Radio. Hey, this is Zach Efron, and you're listening to The Stupid Cancer Show. I hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <laughs> Somebody's got a case of the Mondays. Because he has a lot of chutzpah. <laughs> Hello there, children. Hey, hey, kids. <laughs> People seem to like me because I am polite and I'm rarely late. And now, the hosts of the Stupid Cancer Show, Lisa Bernhard and Matthew Zachary. Woohoo! Monday, February 20th, 2012, and welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adult cancer. I am Matthew Zachary, a 16-year young adult survivor of pediatric brain cancer. And I'm Lisa Bernhardt, 16-year young adult breast cancer survivor, and we're your hosts for the Stupid Cancer Show. It is not okay. Not okay, Matthew. Not okay that 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer every year, so got cancer? Under 40 socks, huh? Time to get busy living because the Stupid Cancer Show is changing the world. One chemo infusion at a time. All right, tonight's show, everybody, it's going to get hot, it's going to get heavy, it's going to get heated. It is cancer politics. Angela Wall, communications manager from Breast Cancer Action, joins us. And returning champ Melinda Hentenberger, the both returning champ, breast cancer survivor and political writer for the Washington Post of the she the People blog in particular, and she is the founder of Politics Daily. They'll be here tonight. Also in the Survivor Spotlight, Katie Donahue, live here in studio, young adult survivor osteosarcoma, and she's a nurse coordinator at the Stephen Field, Stephen D. Hassenfeld Center. Matthew. The Stupid Cancer Show is a production of the I'm Too Young for This Cancer Foundation online at stupidcancer.org. We are not your father's cancer society. No, we're not. But we are bringing the cause of cancer under 40 to the yes, national spotlight where it belongs. It was like a, well, like a Whitney Houston funeral. Preach it, brother. Uh, oh, boy. That? What? It was very moving. Say it, Matthew. It was very moving. I cried. It was phenomenal. Yes. Kevin Costner got his acting chops back. <laughs> Go ahead, Matthew. Welcome aboard to the first exciting romp through the hay on tonight's stupid cancer show. Where remission is not a cure and survivorship is all that matters. And a stupid cancer welcome. My turn to any and all of our first-time listeners here on the Blog Talk Radio Network and on iTunes. Don't forget us on iTunes. Download us for free as we broadcast live from the Chemo Deck, our fabulous studio in Tribeca. That's downtown Manhattan. Woo, sounds fancy. Oh, it, it does. It's totally fancy. It I sounds hip, does I should check that out. Is it hip? We think so. As a reminder, the Stupid Cancer Show also has a live interactive chat room during every show. We invite you to join in the fun, connect with our friends, and ask questions of our guests. And there we are, folks. 
Hello, Matthew. Good Monday to you both. Kenny Kane. What up, what up? Reverend Manning. Isn't this supposed to be a holiday? It's President's Day. We always work on holidays here. Kenny just got back from his mattress sale at Sleepy's. Yes, the one-day sale. Yes. <laughs> the one that keeps on giving? Yes. Cancer doesn't go on a holiday. No. 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 That That is very... My my boss is a uh, a real... I'm a pile driver. Oh. Is that a word? A pile... <laughs> <laughs> That's the Ur- wrong word. Urban Dictionary pile driver <laughs> and see what comes up, Matthew. Don't look it up. A wrestling move, and I'm sure a cornucopia. We, probably have, young, we have young children listening to the right. show. He's right. a neurotic Jew that never lets anybody take a vacation. No. no. That's it. Here we are, but we're no, happy Kenny's to be take, here. I'm letting Kenny take a two-week road trip. That's yes. kind of a vacation. Right. Part of the, having fun. Part of the job still. Yes. Right. He, you can't have too much fun, though, because it is work. Well, right. there will be drinking involved. I mean, no, he's dri- he's driving. He can't be drinking and driving. Just no. driving then drinking. Well, he's got to sleep on the road at some point. He'll be sleeping on the road if he drinks and drives. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there will be no drinking and driving. No, none at all. But uh, anyway, um, how are you? How was your week? Uh, my week was very nice. Thank you. Uh, so, what do you what do happened? between Mondays? That that's a, that's a secret. <laughs> okay. No, I can't. I can't. I can't let the people onto that. Should well, I, I can let them on. I just can't let. She grows vegetables in the uh, the, the hills of <laughs> Hudson Valley. In the freezing weather. Exactly. She's got yeah. one of those, like, car-side rose stands, dozen roses for sale. Well, the big news this week was the uh, the drug shortage of methotrexate. Yes. The big deal. We can talk about that with our guests. Yes. Since the FDA was involved. Yes. Big deal. Really big deal. Made all the all the headlines, lots of people on Facebook tweeting about it. Uh, it it's... It's terrible. I took methotrexate back in the day. Did you really? Barely spit it out now, yes. I did CMF, uh, which the M in that was methotrexate for breast cancer. Wow. Yep. And did the C it. was for chamomile. <laughs> and the F was and for floral essence. Fun flavored. <laughs> <laughs> New vanilla methotrexate. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it ran out because the FDA shut down one of the drug companies that makes it. Yes. Didn't pass the FDA's test. They got the the C rating for the Bloomberg r- Restaurant Review. Right. So all of a sudden there was about a week's worth left, I believe. Right. And everybody else had to kick it into high gear. Right. And uh, it got pretty scary for a lot of folks out there who depend on it. Yes. Now, it's the first time there's been a major drug shortage, but no. big deal. Yeah. And, of course, I, I sort of goofed on it, but the Whitney Houston funeral, which the family said we want it to be private, but the Internet's welcome to be there. Yeah. Five hours. I, you know what? I love the whinings. CC and BB. CC was hysterical. Yeah. He was funny, funny, funny. And the other brother who was the uh, reverend, all the brothers got up and sang at a they certain did. point. No. And it was very moving. Yeah. It was really very moving. Um, I think some of Whitney's best songs and best work was singing with the Winans, which she loved to do. Yes. How about that uh, tribute from uh, Chris Cornell? I put, I put that on Facebook. I saw it. I was yeah. waiting for a, uh, a uh, Noel or Liam of Oasis to do a, a tribute. It was a bit Chris Cornell of Soundgarden did out in, at an Obama rally in San Francisco, did an acoustic, and I will always love you. Really? Yes. Yeah, pretty awesome. An unlikely wow. trip from an unlikely source there. Yeah. Beautiful. Wow. Yeah. 
I mean, no one's doubting how phenomenal she was. She's she's up there with Streisand, I re- you know, Judy Garland. You know, I remember back in the day, though, when she was first getting really popular. I think it was Joan Baez. It was one of those types of singers, like Joan Baez, or uh, who's the blonde one now? Who, who um, not Joni Joni Mitchell or Joan Baez? Maybe Joan Baez, who were critical of Whitney Houston, saying she's got this phenomenal voice, but poor songs, poor song choice. What's this crap that she's singing? She's wasting this yeah, gorgeous voice. Yeah, bubblegum pop. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, that's not Joan Baez's thing. Right. But it was a lot of other people's things. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so really sad. Really sad. sad. Not cancer, but still very yeah. sad. And I and just I saw her that her daughter is in rehab now, which well, is equally terrible. I think you know she's seen two parents with substance abuse right. problems. Mm-hmm. So we hope that she can work it out for herself. Well, let's uh, let's just jump right into it because we have our guest right here in studio. We do. She's an old friend of mine, and I shall introduce She's her. She's a new friend of mine. She's not your friend. She's my Facebook friend. Okay, she's that your, counts now in that life. That does count in life. Yeah. Katie Donahue is diagnosed with osteosarcoma, a form of bone cancer, at the record-breaking age of three years old. This August, she will be celebrating her 30th anniversary, and she's been an oncology nurse for over seven years, and is now the nurse coordinator for the Stephen D. Hassenfeld Children's Center for Cancer and Blood Disorders. The Stephen D. Who? Hassenfeld. Gotcha. Which I have a story about, yep. which is also where I'm treated. They are my doctors I know. As well. I, had, I had trouble. You had a, it's a mouthful. Stephen D. Hassenfeld. Getting your Hassenfeld out. Children's Cancer Center and for Blood Disorders and stuff, and all sorts of good things. And stuff. She is currently working with physicians, nursing, and management teams to develop the Cancer Survivorship Program at all of NYU. Please welcome Katie down here. Hi, Katie. Thank you. Hi, guys. How Hi. are you? I'm very impressed with Katie already, just in our pre-show chat. She's, she, she's, she's pretty. She's brilliant. She's a survivor. And she gets it. She does. She gets cancer. And she's very accessible and down-to-earth in her personality. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Wow, thanks, and, guys. But uh, well, my story with Hassenfeld really quickly is that Hassenfeld was founded by the Hasbro brothers. Of the toys. Of the toys. Mm-hmm. The Hasbro brothers are the original founders of Hassenfeld. Did not know that. Yes. Wow. They so, are indeed. They're very, very generous supporters of the Hassenfeld Center. Yes. And, and are there lots of toys there? There are lots of toys. Lots of toys. Come at holiday time and you can't even but get not, through. But not Mattel. It can only be Hasbro. Only Hasbro. That's right. So... Is that Candyland or is that like Clue? Let's go through all the Hasbro do they, like, toys. Do they scan the barcodes and stuff when they bring it in? This is pressure now because they're major donors, and if she doesn't come up, if she names <laughs> something else like Lego, that's not a Hasbro no, not toy. Right. Iron it's, Man mask. We uh, we had Robert Downey Jr. came and visited us. Actually, spent a few hours with us at Hassenfeld, and uh, Hasbro Toys gave us a bunch of masks for him to sign for the, the oh, kids. That's awesome. Oh, they must have oh. loved that. Oh yeah, they love that. When was that? That was. Right when uh, Iron Man 2 was coming out. Nice. So, yeah, that was, it was last great. summer, yeah. Two summers ago. 2010. Yeah. The, 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 that's the, the that's sequel? amazing how you pulled 20, that out. No, 2011. 2011, the right. sequel. Get our sequel straight here. So really quickly, what is the Hassenfeld Center for Children's Center for Cancer and Blood Disorders for our listeners? Very easy for you to say, huh? Yeah. Uh, the Stephen D. Hassenfeld Children's Center um, for Cancer and Blood Disorders is the pediatric center for NYU. Um, it's where kids can come um, for treatment for their cancer. 
uh, or other blood disorders, sickle cell, things like that. It's an outpatient, so we're not open all night long. Um, and so they can come in, they see their doctors, they get their transfusions, but it's really an incredible atmosphere filled with not only some of the top-notch uh, physicians, uh, fellows, residents, um, and nurses. We are a magnet hospital for NYU, so we have superb, excellent nursing care. But we really focus on the whole patient, the whole child, the whole family um, as they're going through treatment. And so we have a great um, multidisciplinary team filled with child life specialists, filled with wellness coordinators, uh, music therapy, massage therapy, art therapy, um, to really, you know, treat the whole disease. So you were diagnosed at age three yourself. You were not treated at Hassenfelder, were you? That's correct. No, I was not treated at Hassenfeld. I was treated uh, in Rainbow Babies and Children's Hospital in Cleveland, Ohio. In Cleveland. In Cleveland. Wow. Cleveland. That's yeah. lovely. That's a great place. Yeah, it was a great place. Not the city, the hospital. <laughs> well, fair but enough. But that's a mistake on the lake. <laughs> fair enough. Yeah, so, no, it was... I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no. Uh, yeah, I was very lucky. I was um, I was diagnosed at three years old, and uh, my, my mother noticed one day I was limping, and that was it. I had just turned three years old, so I had been for my well visit, and nothing seemed to be wrong. And a month later, when I was limping, they took me back into the doctor and found out I had osteosarcoma. We had no family history of cancers. Um, there seemed to be nothing else wrong, um, and that was it, kind of a, a parent's intuition. And after that, I went through treatment, and as I was told many years down the line, I had a, a treatment that is now standard therapy for osteosarcoma, which is called a limb-sparing surgery. And in 1982, you could probably count on one hand the number of doctors in the world who did limb-sparing surgeries, and I found one of them. Um, so I was able to keep my leg, get my chemo, and get gone, and, and here I am. So what do you remember of that so wait, time? So you were you three. Hold, wait, hang on. Do you hold that against all the people that get that treatment today? <laughs> do I hold what against them? That you were the guinea pig that oh, they're all thankful no. for? No, no, not at all. Oh. I, I'm thrilled that so many people that have gone through this treatment. Uh, she had a groundbreaking procedure for right. her time. And uh, You were a pioneer without yeah. even knowing it. That's right. I sacrificed my body she, to science, and they threw it right back. <laughs> So you get this diagnosis, you're three. So, little, so what are your memories of that time? You know, I have, I have very, you know, here and there memories about my treatment and some things that I, I've been through with my parents that, I, that they don't really remember. But one of the things that really made me want to become a nurse was remembering um, my nurse, Sandy, who um, on one particular admission for my chemotherapy, they didn't have outpatient centers. You know, everything was in the hospital. And on this particular occasion, I was missing my dog. Brandy, and uh, Sandy's dog was part of the pet therapy program, and so on her day off, she actually brought her dog in to visit me at the hospital, and I remember thinking, well, I, I don't know what I was thinking at the time, just, yeah, that there was a dog, but I remember that event and thinking that, you know, in becoming a nurse, if I could touch, you know, my patients the same way that, you know, not only treating disease, but, you know, treating my spirit, but right. that really is, you know, what we strive for, um, you know, in medicine, what we should all strive for. But uh, I remember that. Uh, I remember um, little things here and there, smells. The smell of popcorn reminds me of hospital. I, I you know, remember little bits and pieces, but... So maybe you're not so keen on popcorn today? I, you don't eat it when you it go to the movies? It just brings back <laughs> Right, exactly. You go for the snow caps at the movies instead? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, 
And but you know mostly that was it. I don't remember um, the times that I was really sick, and um, I don't remember a lot of the bad memories, which is obviously a blessing, and why I think I feel so comfortable being in the role that I am today. Um, but you know I grew up going to doctors. I still have you know orthopedic issues that I deal with here and there. So I certainly you know growing into young adulthood and having to deal with you know some of the the same kind of what now, you know, this new normal after treatment. So I, I can certainly appreciate the things that, you know, young adults can go through. Was it rough for you, say, when you hit your teenage years to sort of look back and know and, and now that you could sort of psychologically and emotionally process what you had been through and the fact that you do still have to go for screenings and do have orthopedic issues? Did you have any emotional fallout later in life? I can't say I've had anything really significant. Um, I have a very, very supportive uh, family and had great friends that I think, you know, people say to this day, you know, they don't don't really recognize that I have a limp. You know, it's just kind of there. And I, I don't feel like I ever treated it as a uh, – I didn't use the cancer card uh, mm-hmm. all the time. But uh, I I found that, you know, I, I just accepted it. I, it was what I was. And – you know, I was going to continue to participate in gym and I was going to continue to try to run and try to do the things that I could do within reasonable limits. And, you know, whatever I could do, I could, and whatever I couldn't, I stopped. And, uh, you know, so it was great. Um, you know, like I said, having having the support um, from family and friends, of course, as a, as a typical teenager, I assumed that boys didn't like me because of this is the way that I was. Of course, it couldn't have been because I you know, didn't like to do my hair or didn't wear makeup. Right, it, was, exactly. it was obviously because of the leg. Yeah. But, uh, no, I, you know, I, I think um, I think these things happen, I don't, I don't know, for a reason. I, you know, certainly um, a lot of the growing up, going to doctors and being around great physician teams really led me to where I am now today. And, you know, it certainly is unfortunate that I had to go through this, that my family had to go through this. But, you know, if you can kind of see past that and sort of move forward it's so what do you so what do you tell the kids do they ask you do they say you know why do you have a limp or do you say i went through this illness which is similar to what you're going through how much of it do you share your personal story with the kids that you treat i'm very open with it uh you know and i i think i'll I'll say what's appropriate you know if it's a four-year-old or a five-year-old staring at me and asking you know what happened you know it's kind of it's kind of a lot to say, you know, to them, you know, exactly what happened. I'll share my, you know, my treatment history and things like that with parents. And, um, but, you know, again, it's it's kind of a, a appropriate time and a place, you know, same as, you know, sharing your personal life with, you know, patients and things. So, you know, if it if it's the the right time. But, you know, now that I'm really working with cancer survivors and things like that, it's it's something that um, that I can relate strongly to. So. So we all know that uh, even though when the doctor says you're cured, you're home, that's not the end of the story. And for ch- long-term childhood survivors, I mean, I was I was a pediatric patient, but I was 21, so I was kind of like in this weird limbo between different generations. But as a long-term childhood survivor, do you still get scans? Do you have side effects? Are there, you know, obviously you have the, the limp. You know, do you deal with orthotics? I mean, how does that play out for your lifestyle? Well, I remember the first time I ever heard about what cancer survivorship was and what long-term follow-up and the need for kind of these tests like, you know, bone density tests and echocardiograms. I was 
you know, 24, 25 years old, freshly out of nursing school, working with an oncologist. And, you know, he said, Katie, have you ever had an echocardiogram? And I'm like, come on, you know, <laughs> I'm 24 years old. Why, why would I have an echocardiogram? And he said, you know, treatment you got many years ago can affect your heart, you know, especially if you were to become pregnant or, you know, um, overweight, et cetera. And that's when I first realized what survivorship was. I hadn't seen an oncologist and I don't even know how long. Don't listen to this, my survivors I'm trying to teach, by the way. But uh, <laughs> I had been going to orthopedists and seeing my general doctors and getting follow-up, but I wasn't really aware that there was this whole, you know, area, field of research taking care of survivors like myself um, and that there was a, a, a need to do kind of follow-up care. And so, um, yes, I, I don't get tests to kind of screen for recurrence of cancer, I mean, other than kind of the basics, you know, thing to look for. Um, but I do go for my echocardiograms. I do go for my bone density tests, and I've actually had several fractures uh, when I have fallen, and so I do have some bone density issues. I struggling with a little bit of uh, blood pressure. Is that from is that from both is that from the treatment the bone density or from the osteosarcoma itself? It's uh from the treatment, from yeah. the the surgery that I had um that kind of has, you know, made me have the limps, so my kind of atrophy in a little bit. Um so, you know, heart looks great and everything otherwise is checking out fine, but it's really, you know, it's looking at survivorship is such a a great approach to you know, um, wellness, and it's, you know, being very proactive in your health care and, and really empowering, you know, yourself as a survivor to say, these are the things that I need to keep me healthy. You know, I went through this acute phase of treatment. Now I want to stay healthy for the rest of my life, and there are higher risks for people who have survived cancer that, you know, they may not know about. That's a good way to look at it, that it's a great approach to wellness. It is. It is. Well, you you really want to just, but that's the thing. Like it's the lifestyle. It's it's how do you make the most of what you have left? <laughs> you know, whether you're missing an organ or missing a part of your body or whatever it is, you have the right to live your life with as high a quality of life and the dignity as possible. And it, it took a very long time, but it, it it actually was pediatrics that opened up the conversation that there's life after cancer and we are responsible to help you navigate that. And now that idea of long-term follow-up has trickled up to young adults and to older adults. So congratulations for setting the stage for all of us. It's all your fault. <laughs> Thank, yes, it's all my fault and I accept full responsibility. <laughs> did you did you know you wanted to go into nursing at, having gone through this experience personally? I did. I, you know... I went through my typicals, you know, what do I want to do? I wanted to be a marine biologist. Then I realized I kind of have a fear of water, so that probably wouldn't work <laughs> didn't out. Work. <laughs> didn't work. Failed. Um, so, yeah, I, I knew that I always wanted to be in some kind of um, health care. I thought about, you know, practicing medicine, but I really enjoyed the impact that the nurses had made on me, and uh, it just really seemed to be a right fit for, for me, for my personality, for my desire to not go to medical school. So it was perfect. And so you're so explain to us again because the Hassenfeld Center is, as you said, an outpatient center only. So you're sort of working in conjunction with the hospital. How does that sort of how, what what is that relationship like? To Nine East. Nine East. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> so that's the wing of NYU with the Pete's. Right. So Nine East is our our inpatient unit, and uh, so yes, we work very closely with the staff of uh, Nine East. Um, our physicians are the same. 
uh, our nurse practitioners all, um, you know, working with our patients when they, you know, have to go into the hospital, when they get discharged from the hospital, not all chemotherapy has to be given in the hospital, blood transfusions, you know, things like that. So we are a means for uh, people to stay out of the hospital as much as possible. They can come in, they can get their treatments, they can go home and sleep in their own bed, they can come back the next day and do it all over again. Um, so it's really this changing to outpatient medicine is really fantastic and um, awards families the opportunity to be together and maximize their time together. And, and they can play with Hasbro toys and maybe meet Robert Downey Jr. if they're really lucky. That's pretty much, that sums it up right there. All right. <laughs> Sounds good to me. All well, right, Matthew. But, again, you work with, like, Lydia, right? Lydia is on I the do. floor. Yeah, Lydia was my, my late brother-in-law's uh, nurse. Yep, yep. Lydia's still with us. Yep. She's a gem. Yes. Uh, it's a great Jose. Yeah, absolutely. There and the, and the, the Making Edwin Foundation, uh-huh. which was the first nonprofit that I was involved with in 1997. Very, very supportive. Very supportive. Them. They yeah. were great for me. Um, you know, I, and I was that I, – I, I, we have such a – Odd synergy, you working with them and my family and my history, uh, that I actually did benefit from some sort of psychosocial support in 1997 because of the Making Headway Foundation and their relationship with the then Hassenfeld, then it became the Inn at Beth Israel and back and forth. But this ecosystem of support was extraordinary, and I can't speak highly enough of of the Hassenfeld Center and all that they do for... for and your kids. brother-in-law was at Hassenfeld. My brother-in-law was a patient at yeah. Hassenfeld from 1997 to 2003. Mm. So uh, he unfortunately he passed away of sarcoma at 19 years old, but he was the mayor of 90. <laughs> oh, yeah? He was before Foursquare. Way I'll before Foursquare, he was the I'll mayor. Carl Feldman was the mayor of, of 90. Yeah. <laughs> right. But and my question to you is, do you ever find it oddly uncomfortable to talk to parents or do you think that the parents, because the parents are our age, they were in the 20s and 30s, they have little kids. You know, you're a young adult survivor in your 20s and 30s, and you're talking to parents in their 20s and 30s with little kids. Do they look at you and see hope, or do they look at you and, and just, are they perplexed and it's confusing? I don't think I've ever uh, had a conversation with a parent that uh, then did not say to them, wow, you went through this and look at you now. And to me, that's a that's a huge honor for them to feel that way, and I, I hope it does give them hope. I do, however, respect that some people want to go through this treatment and, and be done, you know, and there's a, you know, the, the celebrating life and the, you know, having support groups and things like that is, is not, not everybody's way of dealing with it, uh, but I find that um, certainly my conversations that I've had with um, patients, with families, with other health care providers, you know, it's more of an inspiring one, and I'm very grateful for that. Well, kudos to you. Well, thank you. And to you, We'd like to say congratulations on surviving stupid cancer. Hey, thank you. Awesome. She's a very poised, articulate young woman. You're way too articulate for the show. Attractive. <laughs> we'll lead her out with lots of compliments. Me and my stroke like we list. Her. What the hell am I saying here? <laughs> uh, All right. Katie Donahue, thank you Katie so much. Let's Donahue. give her a round of applause. Well, she's sticking around. Cheers. Chime in. Steal the mic from James and talk to everyone. I'm all over it. All right. And I'll try to find something funnier and stupider to say. Okay, fantastic. James has surrendered the mic. He knows. <laughs> he knows. He's smart. All right, let's get to the Hello, news. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is Eye on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. Okay, folks, during this part of the Stupid Cancer Show, we announced to our listeners a whole bunch of newsworthy 
programs, events, and services that we don't want you missing out on. They're all free, and they're all just for young adults with cancer. Things like conferences, happy hours, retreats, meetups, tweet-ups, kayaking and mountain climbing trips, finance webinars, college scholarships, bar crawls, concerts, tweet-ups, support groups, and more. If you have something coming up that you would like us to spread the word about during this part of the show, please send us an email to info at stupidcancer.com. All right, everybody, head on over to events.stupidcancer.com, your one-stop shop calendar for all of our social and educational events nationwide. Say hello, because something could be happening in your neck of the woods, and we don't want you missing out. What's coming up, KK? Wednesday night here in New York City, we have a uh, Stupid Cancer Happy Hour slash fundraiser. Uh, and there's absolutely nothing happening in March. There's not no summit. There's okay. No, uh, there's no C4YW. There's, there's no. There's nothing. That's a little downtime before the big event. This weekend we have C4YW over in New Orleans, Louisiana. And mark your calendars for the Cancer and Careers Conference. Uh, what's the official title? It, it escapes me. Conference on work. Right. Uh, happening in June. So head over to Cancer and Careers. That's at the Desmond Tutu Center. Right. right. Here in New York City as well. We were there last year. It was awesome. Awesome event. All right, the Stupid Cancer Forums have over 2,500 members. This is your premier online support community to connect with survivors, patients, parents, and caregivers just like you. Visit stupidcancerforums.com today and sign up with one click through Facebook. We've only got a few more slots for Team Stupid Cancer. How many more, Kenny? How many uh, do we have Less next? than five. Okay, less than five. Hurry up, get in there. It's our official running team for the New York City Half Marathon. Got feet. Actually, with our crew, feet are optional. Less than five slots, people. Low fundraising minimums and help young adults fight stupid cancer. Visit TeamStupidCancer.com for information on how to register. Okay, the fifth annual OMG Cancer Summit has four, count on four slots left. Do not miss your opportunity to register and join 500 of your fellow survivors, caregivers, advocates, and passionate agents of change. I just made that up. At the Palms Casino Resort... This March 30th, March 31st, and April 1st in Las Vegas. Uh, join the uh, AOMG Players Club, an exciting new fundraising challenge where you can earn up to 600 bucks in travel and even a brand new iPad. Visit omg2012.org. And that is your stupid cancer news. news. Actually, Kenny, hang on a second, Kenny. We got some other news. Big news. Well, first of all, for the first time ever, Team Stupid Cancer of the noted half marathon, Yes. now has five slots for the ING New York City Marathon 2012. The full marathon. The full marathon. We've got five slots for the ING this, was it, November? That's right. We are okay. so excited. Who's out there? Melinda Hood? You going for the full marathon? <laughs> well, Ann Kramer's already signed Ann up. Ann Kramer. Ann Kramer's already signed up. we got five slots. Oh, Ann Kramer can whip anybody yes. into shape. She's kick-ass. She is total kick-ass. I might be a little afraid to run with Ann Kramer, actually. Oh, yeah? Well, you know, she, well, no. Like like, like a dog biting your ankles (laughs) as you run. Like an army sergeant. Yes. Like, I feel like I'm in the military. No, she'd actually be very motivational. So, you know, can I just chime in? Sure. One thing you really should uh, consider sponsorship for is the triathlon. So, I forgot to add, for my 30th anniversary, I'm doing a triathlon relay this uh, August with my brother for the Try to Beat Cancer. So you should think about Katie. You lazy underachiever. (laughs) Unbelievable. Well, I'm just swimming. I'm not doing much. You should think about uh, getting some spots for the New York Triathlon. So for 
you know, those of us that can't run as well. All right, Kenny, get there on There you that. go, I Matthew. Will, I will make a sticky note. Matthew, come on. What? Exercise Challenge. time. Kenny, Kenny, Kenny likes to go for the New York City uh, uh, street festival-a-thon. Yes. Yeah. No, similar to how Katie didn't want to be a marine biologist, Matt did not want to be a gym teacher because he has a fear of physical activity. <laughs> <laughs> And also we have um we have another huge announcement that um uh, uh, yeah, my that, brain. uh what good, I'm thinking what about the hell was I gonna say? Good announcement. It wasn't the the the, the road trip, it wasn't that. What did one didn't have the, anything the, to do with mobility? The, the giving away with part. the Volkswagen? I well oh that's right. Yeah. That's right. We are giving away a car. How did you forget that? Because my brain doesn't work. Wow. We went over this last week. Wow. Matt doesn't know my phone number. Yeah. I don't. It's 631-something. Oh, yeah. All right. What's <laughs> the next few digits? <laughs> I'm three out, of, three out of nine away. Well, everything's pre-programmed. Right. He doesn't need to know that. But anyway, we are giving away a car at the OMG Cancer Summit. We are giving it away. It is technically the winner of the contest that we are holding will get the car for two years. Yes. We're not giving it away. You don't get to keep it for life. But it's pretty darn cool. Yes. But you're going to get to have this car. You won't have to pay insurance. No. You'll just have to pay for the gas. No, just Jack. gas and, and I think basic repairs. If, if you I was going to say, what happens if they wreck it? Like, yeah. well, then it's then it's, then it's, then it's, then it's <laughs> don't their wreck problem. It. Yeah, don't you wreck it. You break it, you buy it. Yeah, yeah. don't no, wreck the that, car. No, but no, like oil changes insurance. and, you know, rotating your tires and all that stuff. But, yeah. you know, for two years, you don't really do that. Right. So. We're giving away a car for two years thanks to the good folks. Don't at, say the name of the car company yet. Because we're just teasing the fact that we're giving away a car. The good folks at Company X. I might have. Well, they can download the podcast. Right. Okay. The, our numbers yeah. will go up. <laughs> no, we'll be making a big announcement in two weeks, but this is huge news. Well, Lisa knows who it is, but but and Kenny knows who it is, and actually James knows who it is. And in theory, because we said it before, uh, Katie knows who it is, but Katie's sworn to secrecy. Right. Non-disclosures all around. Right. Anyway, so that's also uh, huge news. So we'll be making other announcements too, but but just all around amazing, amazing, it is. amazing stuff. All right, so that is that. We have Melinda, not Melinda. You have Melinda and Angela both on the line. So let us uh, let's introduce them. I shall. Start you shall with, take Melinda. I'll all right, take Angela. Let's. Uh, uh, here we go. This is a good one. I think anyway. Hopefully they'll agree. Go ahead. Hit us with Melinda, Matt. All right. Melinda Hanneberger is a political writer for the Washington Post, an Illinois native. She spent her cub years in Texas, was a Washington correspondent and Rome bureau chief for the New York Times, and founded Politics Daily. Follow her on Twitter at, at MelindaDC. New great blog, She the People, she at the Washington people. Post, which she's, uh, she heads up. All right, Angela Wall. Angela is Breast Cancer Action's Head of Strategic Communications and Media Relations. She's been involved with BCA, with Breast Cancer Action, often, now very on since 2001. She's always been an advocate for women's health and equality before Breast Cancer Action. She held a whole bunch of communication-related jobs that ranged from lecturing to advertising. She'll tell us about those. Uh, we love having her on the show and her buddies at Breast Cancer Action. She was She's the one that comes on with the English accent. Yes. Yeah. That's because she was born in England. Uh, and she is now hailed from San Francisco, which she calls that uh, place her home, even though she loves New York. And she loves being a guest on the Stupid Cancer Show. She put that in her bio, actually. We have or two we returning champions. In? We two. do. Angela and Melinda. Hey, guys. And Melinda Hello. Hamburger. Hey. Hello. Hello. Good evening. Welcome back on the air. How are you? 
we're we're okay. I mean, I can't talk for Lisa. We're She's terrible, fine. but you know, <laughs> I'm fine. Good, Lisa. You need like to, to clean up yourself a little bit. Thanks, <laughs> Okay. Yes. We're thrilled to have you guys both on. So we wanted to do this show, obviously, because of all the the lovely stuff that's gone on in the news in the last couple of weeks. But I think we I don't think we've ever done a show specifically on the politics of, no. of cancer. So it just seemed very timely. And in leading up to the conference, it's just more talking points, good stuff just to have in our back pocket. So let's let's just get this started right off the bat. I'm going to start with Angela because uh, I know Breast Cancer Action uh, took a very active uh, public role in the conversations in January around the Komen Planned Parenthood issue. So I was just hoping you could start by quickly saying uh, what Breast Cancer Action is and your position on um, on the actions and and uh, ballyhoo of January. Absolutely, my pleasure. Um, Breast Cancer Action is a advocacy and education organization. Um, we are a watchdog of the breast cancer movement. Um, we take no funding whatsoever from any corporations or organizations that either profit from breast cancer or contribute or fuel in any way um, this, this epidemic. And we kind of have a, uh, we have three kind of primary mission uh, goals, and that is to both look into kind of and address the environmental factors that increase um, people's risks of developing breast cancer, to look at, it, at the health inequities and, and the, the, the reason different groups of women get cancer, get breast cancer at, at different rates and die of it at different rates. And then we look at the degree to which um, quite frequently patients come second to kind of profit-oriented uh, motives around both pharmaceutical industry and corporations in general. So that's our three kind of, that's our, our, our focus. Um, and with regard to, you know, the recent decision by Komen to pull and then potentially re, um, you know, re-permit Planned Parenthood to qualify for funds, our big, you know, it, we, we've had a growing concern for, you know, on and off for years with the way in which organizations, whether they be breast cancer organizations or, or corporations, um, have a lovely habit when it comes to breast cancer of not always being fully accountable and transparent about the fact of who's coming first, whose needs are coming first. And the issue with Komen and Planned Parenthood was specifically that issue, that you know, and a lot of people have defined this as being, oh, well, it's, you know, we're putting politics first. You know, well, well let's just be honest here. You know, women's bodies have never been anything but political. So when it comes to women's health, I mean, we're, we're, we're being fools if we're thinking that, you know, oh, this is a political issue. Komen put politics. They put a political agenda first, right? But I want to be clear that, you know, when it comes to women's health and women's bodies, you know, we live in a political terrain, um, and, and that's 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 the way it is, and, and you know, and it's it's not good, and it's not bad, but it's it's the reality that we work in, and I think that you know the the, the big thing about Komen's decision was, you know, they 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 talk about they they talk the talk of putting underserved communities first, of putting women's health first, and then they go head to head with the one of the few organisations, Planned Parenthood, that really put services for underserved communities first and, and, and offers them very limited service because there's only reproductive health and breast screening. And, you know, breast screening is not a prevention. It, it's not the be-all and end-all of women's health by any means. So, so that was the kind of broad general scope of our critique with them. 
around this particular issue. Right. So, Melinda, what's what's your take on it? I mean, Nancy Brinker, first of all, um, she's Republican and and mm. been known to be Republican, and I believe was even honored by Planned Parenthood um, some years back. I mean, Karen Handel, who's obviously no longer there, made a video and basically said that she viewed this as a kind of shakedown of Komen by Planned Parenthood. What what are your thoughts? I, you know, I think it's a complicated situation. I wish I could say, oh, it's so clear, you know, obviously this is the right answer. I I had complicated feelings about it from beginning to end, even though they changed over the course of the, you know, the saga that, that was so intense, you know, over over the time it was played out and as it will continue to be played out, really. My first reaction was that I never... I never was a big Coleman fan to begin with because or or I should say that a different way. Is that you know I <laughs> too late there, there, were <laughs> we got about, there were things about Coleman that made me think again for a long, long time, you know. And it wasn't just all the masses of pink, but it was, you know, the Kentucky fried chicken. I mean it's as Angela was saying, I mean, so how does how does that again put put women with cancer for, uh, it's such a mixed message. And right. When they partnered with Kentucky Fried Chicken and raised all that money, right, and slapped pink on something right. that right, bucket, hardly seems like it would be healthy. Yeah. Right. When, you know, you really, I like fried chicken as much as the next girl, but you really, <laughs> I mean, there is a link. I mean, you're supposed to try to keep, you know, fat, yeah. not fat free, but it's not the healthiest thing for somebody who's trying not to have a recurrence to be, right. <laughs> be diving into. Um, so I, I, this, so I did not share the initial outrage, like, oh, how could the perfect Coleman, you know, be doing this? So I didn't have that feeling. But as it went on, I sort of came to feel almost sorry. I did come to feel sorry for Nancy Brinker because, I mean, I'm sure that she, um, I mean, she's poured her life into this, right? They've raised a lot of money for research, and I'm sure that, um, she did that in honor of her sister who died of breast cancer at age 36, and uh, she's she's worked very hard. And she, so I came to feel like it was a little bit of a, um, it almost became a mob reaction. Like, you know, at, at the end I was feeling quite sorry for Karen Handel. I mean, you know, where... Um, you know, she's she as you said, Nancy Brinker is a Republican, has always been a Republican. She was a Republican when she raised all the all this money and started the thing. She was a Republican when George W. Bush uh, appointed her ambassador to, uh, to Hungary, I think it was. So I, I didn't think it was shocking that she had a one fellow Republican, uh, you know, who was working there too. I'm sure that uh, you know they were trying to walk a line and. Obviously, her strategy failed. I mean, one of the most amazing parts of um, of the whole story was just the PR disaster. I mean, that's Nancy Brinker's um, specialty is is PR. So I was surprised that she didn't see that coming. They were caught real flat-footed on yes, that. they really were. My position on this is that this came off the heels of SOPA which, irrelevant to what it was, demonstrated that there is a serious powder keg potential in social media uh, over any hot-button issue. 
and mm-hmm. it may not be as 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 uh, regime changing as Arab Spring, but it really was the power of the people sending a specific opinion to other specific people who then changed their minds because of the power of public influence through through these platforms. I wasn't personally surprised by the uproar because it was so hot button because I just saw it as another iteration of the SOPA potential through social media. Going back to the idea of, you know, that the issue with women's rights, women's health and abortion and Planned Parenthood and all the the, the, what is it? The, there's three sides to every story, that kind of thing. You know, mm. no one really had any, any like no one had 100 percent of the facts, but they kept really taking very ardent positions. Well, I wasn't surprised that it came. At, you know, that plan. I, I said from the beginning, oh, this is you know what a, a godsend this is going to end up being for Planned Parenthood. They're going to raise, and that's even before I knew they were going to. Coleman was going to, you know, shift was that, I mean, they raised a ton of money on this. And um, so, you know, whenever the outrage machine begins, I mean, you know, that's that's when money is raised. So, but, but I was very interested in what Angela said about, you know, breast screening not being the be-all and end-all, because, you know, mammograms are not the only tool in the world either. And so I was interested in, you know, was there something to what they were saying, which was what Coleman was saying, which was totally discounted, where they were saying, you know, Planned Parenthood doesn't do these breast screenings themselves. They write the script for it. So I was interested in hearing your perspective on that. Angela? Yeah, I don't I don't know much about who does the actual screening at Planned Parenthood. My understanding was that they actually perform the screening. No, they don't. Um, they don't. Okay. Well the mammograms um, I, they I should I should be more specific. The mammograms they don't do themselves. Well so, and then they, they refer they have a referral process where they right. they, they will refer mm-hmm. people out. So, you know, I mean Coman the, the bigger issue for me around this and I and I kind of share all your um, responses of a lack of surprise about this. I mean, at Breast Cancer Action, the, we have seen this coming down. You know, it's been a yearly um, kind of issue for us of just waiting. You know, what decision is Komen going to make? That, that, that they've made a consistent decision around a lot of things year after year that, as far as we're concerned, have just been bad decisions around women health, women's health, from the Kentucky Fried Chicken to this to... Um, to the Promise Me perfume debacle. You know, I mean, it, it just keeps going on, and it seems like it, it's just gathering speed as this juggernaut rolls down the hill. And so what I think around the bigger issue for this is, and around the screening and, and, and the, 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 the kind of risk benefits of screening and mammograms, is to, to really start looking at, who, you know, it's not just a case of assessing where do large breast cancer organizations or where do large organizations like Komen, where do they send their money, who do they give their money to, but to kind of look the other direction and say, where do they get their money from, and how does where they get their money from shape the agendas that they pursue? You know, and it's very interesting that, you know, Komen partners with General Electric, what do General Electric manufacture? They manufacture ma- mammography machines and screening, right. you know. And so uh-huh. it, it, the, 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 I, don't, I, I think we're not going to get from Komen a critique of, say, screening or the current status quo of, of how things are done 
And if we look to them to give a critique of that, it's not going to happen. And I think what's happened around this is people are starting to get a little more savvy and a little more, you know, think a little more critically about where they give their money, what people do, what these organizations do with that money, and, and what's best for their own, you know, treatment and, and, and prevention and their own, you know, their own agendas as they, as they go through either a diagnosis or, a, you know, protecting themselves or trying to do something when it comes to breast cancer. Mm-hmm. I don't know that it gets at your question about screening. I'm not no, sure. it really does. I think that's very interesting because, I mean, I, I think it's possible that they were trying to do something that, that, that you know, was was really bringing it more to the community and, and mm-hmm. away from uh, the reliance just on the mammograms. But I think it's very interesting what you said about mm-hmm. GE and the mammo machines. You know, and, and I think, you know, th- there's a really interesting article by Amy Schiller in The Nation, <laughs> you know, that just talked about, you know, Komen, feminism, blah, blah, blah. And Komen has, you know, they've, they've always been a very safe, you know, the, the mm-hmm. pink is such a safe color. It, it, you know, <laughs> the, the way in which they have always kind of marketed breast cancer has always been, it's such a safe, you know, it's like the, the safe making of this horrific disease. Mm-hmm. You know, to the point where I'm quite ready for it to be. You know, oh, don't looks good worry. on almost it's anyone. Only, Doesn't look like a tumor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's only breast cancer. You know, and it's not that. And so, this, you know, the, the the debacle that's emerged is they, you know, they've never wanted to say anything ugly or unpleasant about this disease. And what's been interesting about this Planned Parenthood issue is that it has, you know, it forced them to get their hands dirty. And in yeah. many, you know, or, or the gloves came off, you know, in many ways, I think there's a lot of people that would say that, you know, Komen's hands are already dirty from the funds that they take, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. but it, this, this was a public airing of, of the fact that, you know, there's a lot of, there's an ugly side to women's health. Yeah, and right. a lot of women experience this on a daily basis, but not if you're a kind of very a white upper middle class, you know, Republican, this, this isn't going to be your world. However, if you right. actually live in those underserved communities that we're actually talking about here, this is very much your day-to-day reality, you know, and, and your health care and the health services that are, are available to you, and it's not even kind of what you have access to. But, you know, the lifestyles that you lead, the way in which you've never had access, you know, you live in these fence-line communities that are incredibly more exposed to toxic environments. You know, it, it, it's, women's health is a dirty business. And that's what we need to start making, you know, change around. Yeah. And, and, and I think that, you know, Komen has entered into this. And what will be interesting to see is now that they are full smack under the spotlight around this issue, what they do, because there is immense potential. You know, they were named repeatedly in the press as this juggernaut of the breast cancer movement. Yeah. You know, and they really could move mountains if they focused on the right mountains to move. Yeah. And you know, Nancy Brinker is smart, so so this could be a, a moment of real, you know, change, and and she could take it in a different direction. I'll bet if you took a a vote among survivors, we would vote out the pink first thing. Right. I mean, you know that that and it 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 isn't just that. It's just a, such a a metaphor for, as you were saying, you know, the whole prettification of something that's really ugly and scary and often lethal. So. You know, I mean, there's there's something great about bringing people together and and making people aware, but it's it's such a it can be such a and one of the things I think she did has done right 
is, you know, it's certainly someplace where you see people of all different, you know, races, ethnic uh, classes brought together to work on this thing. But it, it, you know, the truth is that you, you can walk and feel good and feel like, like, oh, I can check that box. But what really happened? I mean, what, what really was the improvement? Where did, what have we learned from this? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and and if you know, that we can't walk or run or skip or jog our way from this disease, right? It, it, it's we mm-hmm. we can't. We have got to turn and face the issues that are causing. It. And that's the other thing, you know, that we need to start addressing prevention. Right. You know, we need to look at why women are getting sick in the first place. You know, right. and and it, it's it's just it's you what, know. I, what, does what, this does. What, Go ahead, Does this tie into, I mean, a lot of the criticism that I hear about Komen, I'm no expert in this, is that they don't fund any environmental studies. No. Uh, is, that, they, is that true? Do people actually submit grants to fund environmental studies and they, they decline them? Well, so, what, you know, the, the, big, the big, I'm just going to jump in on this because I know that they just funded the big um, Institutes of Medicine IOM report on environmental links to breast cancer. Which, you know, and there were many things, I haven't read the entire, I've not made my way through all, however many pages there are yet, but, um, you know, there's, there's problems when you start, you define the environment, which is as how it's defined in that report, as just the human body. So they fail to address, to, to even broaden this, the, the parameters and the context of what constitutes the environment to be a connection between things like the air that you breathe, the off gases, the pollutants, the products that go into your body in terms of pesticides, um, the, the you know the, 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 the hazardous chemicals that are in, in, in the in the cosmetic products you put on your body and, and, and how, what, the, what the chemical changes and reactions are that happen in your body. What, what the, the, they defined the environment as the cellular components, so what happened within the body when it simply came to how the body changes and, and becomes breast cancerous. Do you, you know, think it, that IOM did this because that was for Komen's benefit, not to widen the scope, or was that something no, that IOM think, had I control over? If you look at the scope and parameters that they were given by Komen and what to look into, it's incredibly narrow, and it ignores a huge field that could have actually really taken us somewhere, like looking at um, the, adopting the precautionary principle, for example, and they don't even address that. Instead, it's eat your broccoli, do your exercise, diet, keep your heart rate down, be good to yourself, and don't get cancer. I would suspect that some of the uh, sponsors for Komen might be upset if they were called out in such a report for products that they manufacture or chemicals that they are large suppliers for. Would you not think that makes I sense? Think, I think it's a very interesting question, <laughs> and you know, and I think gets at who's funding who to do what, and what are the decisions that are made, and how are the agendas shaped. And I think it, you know. For a long time, we've kind of always said at Breast Cancer Action, follow the money, because the story centers around where the money comes from and then what decisions get made around where that money comes from. Right. Question <laughs> for you both. We'll start with Melinda. Um, you both know Barbara Brenner, founder of uh, Breast Cancer Action, a hero of mine, an amazing woman. Um, she uh, is coming out with a film called uh, Breast Cancer, uh, Pink Ribbon, Inc. Pink Ribbons, Inc. Pink yes. Ribbons, Inc. Inc. And uh, I'm curious if uh, Melinda, have you have you seen, screened it or saw the the previews for this yet? No, I haven't. I've heard about it. I haven't seen it. Angela, what's the gist of the film? 
so the, it's a, it's actually not Barbara's not coming out with it. She's featured in it. Um, it's actually it, it was made by the Canadian National Film Board. It's a documentary, um, and it investigate. It's based on the book by the same name by Samantha King, who's an academic working in Canada, um, and it explores exactly the issues that kind of. Um, it explores the relationship between awareness, all the pink ribbons, and the runs, and, and exactly, it, it kind of interrogates what, what, what difference the pink ribbon has made, and the way in which to, it, it's become kind of a, a corporate machine, and questioning just exactly what impact and relevance it's had on ending or changing this epidemic. You know, Barbara has this fantastic line in there of... Um, you know, she, she said, you know, people people think anger is a bad thing, and and so much of the pink is about, you know, taking women's anger away from them and 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 encouraging them to to kind of calm down around this. And she says something like, if um if people knew what was really going on, you'd be really pissed and see this film because it will make you very angry when you realize what's going on. And people should be angry when they realize what's going on. So it's yeah. um I've seen I've seen parts of it. It's a it's a fantastic film. And I obviously have to see this. It's it's incredible. I mean, I think it's it's going to be a whistleblowing film, in my sense. Well, and this is a perfect moment for it because this whole Coleman issue has really brought this to the fore, and it's not it's not over. I mean, I think it's very interesting that Nancy Brinker has kind of gone gone silent and mm-hmm. is obviously, um, you know, making a plan. So I'm eager to hear what it's going to be. Melinda, are you? Um, you've obviously been on the show before, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but you are you are Catholic and you are a pro uh, life Democrat. Is that correct? Am I correct in saying that? Oh, it's very complicated, but yeah, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, I'm a, I'm a, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, so, there, the reason I, I I hesitate to say yes to any mm-hmm. certain label is that you know. Um, we think we know what we mean by those labels, but actually we yeah. don't always. For example, I put no energy into overturning Roe v. Wade, which I'm not at all interested in because it wouldn't um, change anything. Yeah. What I'm interested in is um, taking care of women better and um, yeah. help, you know, women's health and lowering the abortion rate. And so... Even though I do have a different perception of it than most of my friends, frankly, I'm mm, I'm not um, uh, anti. Well, I'm not engaged in in you know where the Supreme Court goes with this. Right. So a couple a couple questions, sort of dovetailing off of that, with this whole common issue. I mean, it it it. Do you think now? We're at such a heightened, polarized state in this country that, at this moment in time, it kind of fueled you know that debate um, it, 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 even more than say it would have in, in years past. Oh my past. gosh! Yes. Yeah. I mean, people can't even hear each other. Yeah. But, you know, on the on all these related issues, they cannot even hear each other, and that's why, you know, I feel like because I kind of stand in the middle on a lot of this stuff. 
Yeah. I it's a very you can get hit from you're standing in the median getting hit on both sides. And it really it's sad to me the opportunities we miss to work together on stuff where we really it's a no brainer that we ought to be working together. But yeah. th- that's definitely true on this stuff. I mean like you know, with the, the Planned Parenthood stuff, for for an example. I mean, my first reaction on the Planned Parenthood stuff is, if you're going to lower the abra- uh, the abortion rate, of course you need to to have all the contraception you can get. Yeah. So since Planned Parenthood is obviously very involved in that, I think that we ought to be supporting Planned Parenthood. That said, I also understand from people on the other side that Planned Parenthood can actually at times be their own worst enemy because, I mean, they're a very political outfit also. And, you know, these things are highly, highly, highly polarized. Right. And so did you feel a certain, when you said you felt sorry for Nancy Brinker, do you think you felt sorry for her because of your own position on abortion or was it also because it was, um, you know, I think because Komen is used to being potentially perceived as, you know, this organization that, um, that does good. That perhaps maybe they were uh, caught flat-footed because they're not they're not used to being a polarizing organization to the general public, like say some other nonprofits out there that have whether they're, you're the Sierra Club or so, you know whoever it is that you might have. Well, some I on didn't both sides feel for her. I feel for her as a person. Um, yeah. yeah, and also because I'm just such a contrarian, I suppose that you know the more. <laughs> You know, when it went to a certain point that she was getting, you know, so clubbed over the head, I began to feel sorry for her as I would for anybody. But, no, no, it didn't have anything to do with that. And I should make clear, I mean, I'm not, my job, my role isn't a partisan one. Right. You're a journalist. Yeah. yeah. Uh So I don't cheer for one team or the other, which is just as well because I'm just not the sort of person who thinks, I mean, we. I did a story recently on Saul Alinsky and, and his, you know, rules for radicals. And Saul Alinsky's most important rule for radicals is that people really only move to action when they're convinced that all the devils are on one side and all the angels are on the other. Hmm. And if that were the case with me, I would never move because I never think all the devils are on the one side <laughs> right. and all the angels are on the other. Yeah, do you? I'm actually just interested from a personal standpoint to being inside the Beltway there. The what? What if anything do you know of as being personal? I mean, you have um, Cecile Richards on the one hand, daughter of Ann Richards, um, very much know her politics. Created an organization in Texas to very much go up against the Christian right, which is at the opposite end of of Karen Handel. So, just right. I mean, how much of this do you think? Also, just is a personal. <laughs> and I was too strong. very, very, yeah. very curious about all that because I, you know, I started out my career in Texas. I was at the Dallas Morning News for for six years, and I thought, wow, this is so interesting. How these are all Texans yeah. involved in this yeah. drama? I mean, right. <laughs> is it? I, I one of our writers, Lori Stahl, who does a terrific job, who lives in Dallas. I said, you know, the story I want to read is: is it like? Uh, you'll never play tennis in right. this town again. <laughs> exactly. I, mean, I want to read that you know, too. Yes. <laughs> I, I I don't. You know, what are those relationships? Are there are I'm there so donors you. who are yeah. not you know speaking to each other? And it's a small town, like all towns. Right? Yeah. I mean, I I don't. 
yet know all those answers. But Can you get somebody at She the People to write that story? <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to read that story also. I'm, I'm working on it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Can I ask a question? I mean, obviously tonight is about uh, cancer and politics. Uh, would, would either of you, obviously BCA focuses on, on the breast cancer world, but can you cite other examples of uh, situations like this where uh, a political an issue is made is politicized um, as a result of an action of another cancer organization, or is this just like the biggest star in the sky? I can't remember anything else like this. No. Well, I, no, and I I can't either. But I I, I feel like I just want to comment on something this this idea that um Komen isn't polarizing or nancy brinker isn't polarizing where i sit over a press cancer <laughs> well to you they have been right. i'm saying to the general to the general public the general perception you know i i just think that most people in the in the general public i mean some people have gotten you know were aware of the of the kentucky fried chicken thing or them suing about the for, for the cure tagline and that kind of thing but i think the gen, but i think say like an environmental nonprofit or something where there's you know nobody's really taken a stand no you shouldn't be putting money into breast cancer research you know just traditionally they haven't been to the general public a polarizing i think they have been seen by people who were closer to the topic as polarizing but i think by the right. general public right. they were seen as quite safe and then right. that was their strategy of course right safer Right. Right. And, and I and I and again, I still I find that incredibly problematic. I mean, and I know yeah. this this is not necessarily what we're talking about, but you know, if we're talking about you know breast, if, if on this show about breast cancer and politics, you know, breast cancer is incredibly political, and the fact that the largest breast cancer organization, probably in the world, has managed to gloss over the politics of this disease as effectively and for as long as they have is alarming you know and and i think is pause for question perhaps to start thinking about is this why we have been moving so slowly in terms of getting the real effective change in place to to start to do something to kind of put a a stop on on the progression of this epidemic so flush That's out the thing the... I think is that there is a certain sense of anesthetizing ourselves with these, you know, these beautiful gauzy shots of, you know, sisterhood and walking, and it's all so lovely, and you know, but where does the where does it end? I mean, where where are we going with that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Angela, flush out again for the listeners though. You, to say that Komen is glossed over that 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 breast cancer is so incredibly political. I mean, what are the things that you would like for them to be saying to the general public out there? I would like them, first of all, to be saying, you know, it, it matters what you put on your body. I would like them to acknowledge, first and foremost, that we need, you know, that there is, a, there is effective science out there that says there are it is involuntary exposure around environmental links to breast cancer, and that you know we we have a big issue around connecting and linking the the environment and environmental toxins to breast cancer, primarily because of the entire methodology that's currently in place of how we do the cause and effect relationship of what one thing does and how it manuf- how it how it translates into causing breast cancer. 
And, and the big hole is that in order for those cause and effect studies to be done, we would need um, randomized um, trials on human beings. We would need to inject human beings with these environmental toxins and see what, how the cancer grows. We can't do that, mm-hmm. right, because it's unethical. So instead, we can adopt something like they do in Europe, which is this precautionary principle of saying, first, something has to be proven safe rather than uh, something has to be we, we have to we have to make something demonstrate that it's not going to harm people rather than demonstrate that it's safe. Hmm. And so Komen could come out and say, you know what, we need to adopt that. If Komen got behind the precautionary principle and started to lobby in Washington for the Safe Chemicals Act, for, for, for more stringent rules and regulations around what goes into the environment, they could make huge change. If they put as much effort into cancer prevention as they do for looking for this idea of a single cure, which in itself is a real false hope because, you know, as many of us know, breast cancer is not one disease. Right. There's not just one type of breast cancer. And so that was the first thing I think that we would ask them to do. And how else would you say, in addition to this specific example that we that we saw that came up with him, I mean, explain how else in your mind breast cancer is political. I think it's about you know it's about the the, the corporations that manage to, to 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 continue manufacturing what they manufacture, um, and and the, the, there's no there's no regulation around the chemicals that they pump out into into the world into the air into cosmetic products. The thing that you know like that Komen actually used with their fragrance that there's a huge loophole at the FDA around you know um, what constitutes fragrance. In a perfume or in any cosmetic, fragrance is is is, is you know a nice little closed lockbox that that's that's um, saved by the sa- the Trade Secrets Act, and, and corporations can put into fragrance something that's incredibly harmful or that is um, you know uh, legislated or regulated as toxic and hazardous, but they don't have to announce that ingredient. Mm-hmm. So there's a there's a lot of ways you know it, it's political in the sense of uh, as we talked about earlier you know around um, underserved communities it's political around you know who has access to healthcare who has access to you know the the safer foods and the better diets and the better lifestyles you know who has access to the clear easy understanding of what anyone diagnosed with breast cancer needs to do it's politicized around you know what kind of available you know, aid there is to, to for people who going through the diagnosis process. What questions do I ask my doctor? Right. Is, is do I accept my doctor's recommendations as the only option? How do I know what to question if I don't even know what the options are for me in the first place? Right. I mean, you know, who who puts money into funding those communities? You know, it, it's incredible. You know, the, the, those ghettoized communities. You know, it's it, it, it's. It's all political. It's all connected to a larger system of, you know, funding distribution, regulation. Um, it's not just access. It's about, you know, ed- you know, education from both elementary school onwards. What, who, who has part? Who has clean air to breathe? Who doesn't? Right. You know, I, I mean, I don't want. I, I don't want to get on some kind of yeah. soapbox. <laughs> but yeah. if you start to ask the questions of those of us that are privileged enough to have good healthcare and good lifestyles if we ask questions about why we have why we have the lifestyles we have and if we think it's just because we got lucky or because we worked hard then 
you know, I, I would say if we start to pose those questions of why we end up where we are and, and look at the politics that has enabled to get where we are, then we start to kind of understand how breast cancer, is, uh, how women's health entirely is a politicized issue. Wasn't there well, actually everything is so political, so it was sort of, you know, darkly hilarious when they're saying, oh, my God, they're injecting politics into this. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> You know, and again, I think that gets to the issue that to have, to have managed to, you know, to, you know, we get calls from people saying, you know, God, you guys, you know, breast cancer action, you guys, breast cancer, breast cancer, breast cancer, you know, breast cancer's dealt with. And, and really? People, why, why are you taking the money? Why, you know, what about colon cancer? What about prostate cancer? Right, what right. about all these other, you know, what about these rare forms of cancer? I mean, I think people think that because, and, and I absolutely agree with your point about this, you know, the anesthetizing of people's response to breast cancer. You know, they think that it, it's in some ways taken care of because it's so well known. Right. You know, and it's one thing to have a well, you know, a disease that everybody knows about. And it's another thing entirely to have a plan in place that's adequately addressing the needs of people who are developing that disease or being diagnosed with that disease and doing something to prevent it getting worse in the first place, which is not happening. It's just not happening. Prevention is a really important thing that that we don't talk enough about, not just in cancer, actually, in, in health in general. Absolutely. In this country, but... Um, yeah, and I and was so talk about surprised when I, you know, after I was diagnosed, at the lack of, I mean, I felt like I had to reinvent the wheel and find out all on my own what was the, you know, what was the right answer for me. And I was amazed at the lack of knowledge, even among the doctors I went to. Mm-hmm. You know, I I ended up having to go to UCLA for um, the kind of reconstruction I had to have after my second surgery, and people here in D.C. said, "Oh, you can, you know, you can get it here." You, you know, I really felt like, and I'm a reporter, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and I, you know, and I was insured, and I still had like something like twenty six thousand dollars that wasn't paid for under my insurance. Wow. I mean, so, you know, talk about. I mean, in these communities like you're talking about where you know you you maybe haven't spent your life as a reporter and you don't have insurance at all i mean it's it's really we've got to be paying attention on the prevention side because i think you know that's something that we can do and it would be crazy not to focus on and we're not enough and I think to your point also about the reconstruction i think there there was a study that came out of the University of Michigan a few years back that only 17% of women with breast cancer are told about their options for reconstruction. Mm-hmm. And if, and I think a lot of them are coming from inner cities as well um, on mm-hmm. that. But that's a, a pretty a pretty appalling figure. Right. Can I just throw some levity in here? I just got a quote. <laughs> Rick Santorum just said that America... I'm laughing already. What now? now? <laughs> Rick, yeah. All I have to say is Rick Santorum. <laughs> right. Rick Santorum just said that America is not a salad that you toss. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thanks, Rick. Thanks again for that great. Uh, I had to break illuminating comment. <laughs> you know, nothing to stimulate the brain like a Rick Santorum quote. Because <laughs> we are talking about politics here. My, yeah. I, my my final question. We're running out of time here. Do you think it would have blown up as much as it did if this was not an election year? Yes. Yes. Because. because it's, yeah. That I mean, it is 
Planned Parenthood, whoa, it's so super polarized, more than it should be. Yep. I'm so sorry that that's the case, but it is. I mean, really, there's so much um, energy into getting Planned Parenthood defunded, into pulling Planned Parenthood out of business, basically. Right. So that, yes, anything to do with Planned Parenthood, and there's a lot of strong feeling about Coleman. So when you put those two together, kaboom, in any year, I think. I absolutely agree. You know, and I think I think with Komen, it's been it's been a slow pot bubbling. I mean, one of the things I have seen and we've seen through our Think Before the Pink Think Before You Pink campaign is just this. You know, increasingly, I think they have just failed to really carefully and strategically think through some of their decisions, because this one was just. I mean, for all the reasons, you know, Planned Parenthood, the, the polarization around issues of choice. Um, it was going to happen sooner or later, and I don't think election year had anything to do with it. Yeah. Okay, well, this has been great having this, this both was, on the show. I'm so glad we decided yeah. to, yeah, timely, topical, and you guys know nothing about what you're talking about. <laughs> and I thank you guys so much for having me on with Angela, because I now realize how much I need to bring her into um, helping us achieve the people. Oh, cool. We would love to help. We are all about helping out on blogs. I'm the Yenta. Okay. I'm just, the Yenta. just been recruited. Yes. <laughs> so awesome. we will be in touch. I will. Okay. Um, Very good. Yes. And I'd thanks like again, um, stupid cancer folks, because this really is a pleasure to be on your show. And um, I really appreciate you. Well, we love having you both. And it's both not October. <laughs> I know. How lovely. <laughs> But you know, it's, it's. I feel like it's getting to be the case of we don't need October just. <laughs> the rest of the world thinks it just happens in October, but the rest of us know that actually breast cancer isn't this nice little thing that happens for 30 days each year. It's actually breast, a bit longer than that. Breast cancer yeah. awareness year. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. I was thank you. One of my friends today ahead, that I, I just love to be to be on your show, and I just love to say stupid cancer. <laughs> really, that's funny because I like to say I kicked cancer's ass. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. Take care. Thank you guys so much. Angela Wallam. Melinda. Thank you guys. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yeah, we love the both of them. No. Let's think of another topic and ask them back. We have have a other guest book next week, right? Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about clown cars and balloon (laughs) colors and bring them back. Yeah, let's come up with something really... Really out there. I bet they could, you know, they could speak well on almost anything, right? They're they, man. Angela is passionate. She knows her shit. <laughs> they could talk about the Kardashians. Actually, Katie, but they have fake breasts. What all do you of think them, about most this conversation? Politics and breast cancer. You know, I mean, I think it's uh, it's it's a funny topic because my mom actually had uh, breast cancer. She's a breast cancer survivor, and you know, it's funny when we found out that she had it. She said. God, of all the cancers I had to have, it was breast cancer. <laughs> you know, it was kind of, you know, everything is breast cancer. Everything is pink. Everything. She is, felt so cliche. It was a very, yeah. a very yeah. big cliche. You know, but in so the end, I. in the you end, know. I think, you know, um, you know, now that she's kind of gone over and, and through that, you know, she she does feel some unification and some strength. There is there is certainly something to be said about the strength in numbers and and you know, the power of women that, no, it's not a pretty disease and, and cancer sucks. And, you know, but but for women to, you know, it's unfortunate that this w- is what brought them together. Um, but, you know, I have to say it, 
the thing that they mentioned at the end that I really wanted to comment on was, you know, the money and uh, for funding for prevention of cancer, which I think is definitely a huge issue. And I think on the other side of that, you know, for people that have gone through treatment and survivorship, you know, I'm I'm not going to run for president, and I don't know what the health care answers are. But you know, I might vote for you. Oh well. <laughs> There we go. I'll uh, I'll add get our super to pack. Let our super pack going. Yeah. But but there's you know there's not a lot of money in survivorship, and it's a shame because I think if we really found a good unified way to inform people of what are the issues now that you have survived cancer to prevent it from coming back, uh, you know, to how how do you know what to look for? And um, I think it's unfortunate, and I think it's a it's a groundbreaking, great. Uh, place that you know there that is getting a lot more attention because there are a lot of breast cancer survivors these days, <laughs> but it's it's really an area that I think we really need to spend a lot of time on prevention, wellness, you know, looking at this big picture. I'm not going to say we're, you know I'm not taking it away from from going through the treatment, but what are we going to do now with all these survivors? Amen, sister. Amen. That's why we're here. All right. Well, this was a good show. Always good with those ladies. Yes. And, uh, all right, let's close it up. Closing sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. You ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. All right, everybody, that is tonight's show, our 213th broadcast. We hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at stupid cancer. All right, we'd like to thank our on-air and in-studio guests, Katie Donahue, Melinda Henneberg, Angela Wall, Kenny Kane, James Manning. Thanks, guys. All right, everybody, join us next week when we have a show that we like to call Peace, Love, and Collaboration. Why? Well, you'll have to tune in and find out. We've got Johnny Immerman multiple times returning champ. You know him, you love him, young adult survivor of testicular cancer, founder of Immerman Angels, and A.J. Jacobs. He's an editor-at-large at Esquire magazine, and he's the author of Drop Dead Healthy, One Man's Humble Quest for Bodily Perfection. He's an old buddy of mine from the magazine world. Yes. And in the Survivor Spotlight, Jacqueline Sable, young adult survivor of a brain tumor. She's going to tell us her story. Peace, love, and collaboration. Join us next week. If you've missed any of our past shows, download them all for free on iTunes at itunes.stupidcancer.com or check out the archives at stupidcancershow.com. Remember, folks, if it ain't stupid, it ain't cancer. Live from the chemo deck, on behalf of Lisa Bernhardt and myself and the whole team here at Stupid Cancer, have a great week. Good night, everybody. So